Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. It's great seeing each of you. I know we're uh, in the middle of the week. Some of you probably had are having very busy weeks and uh, are feeling tired. I was talking with James Weaver that there's a separate category of exhaustion for those with children under a year old. Um, but I, I know you're uh, eager to dive into God's Word and to grow from that tonight. So I really appreciate everyone who's here and those who are uh, online who maybe can't be here with us. We've got a very exciting and rich section tonight in our study, and uh, I know I won't be able to do it justice, <laughs> um, but we are, we are going to uh, cover it a little differently, kind of a thematically to begin with, and then I'll try to touch on some key themes in some of uh, the nine chapters that we're going to go over tonight. Go ahead and start us off in a word of prayer. Our Lord and Father, we're grateful to you, God, that we're called your children, that you've redeemed us and brought us back to you through your son, Jesus Christ, that he suffered and died for us and gives us um, a way to eternal life and that we can have assurance of that eternal life through you. We thank you for this body that's here, for this family, that we can rely on each other and help each other and lean on each other uh, during difficult times. We ask that you'll bless uh, our study at this time, that we can grow deeply uh, through recognition of of your son, Jesus Christ, and the, the work that he did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So our roadmap of Isaiah, we are getting toward the end of the book. And so a reminder on this class, we'll cover this week this section, and next week the final nine chapters, and then we'll have two classes on New Testament usage of Isaiah from the Gospels. And then I'll give you the option whether we want to discuss Acts or Romans. Um, I have the material prepared for either one. As we talked about, this latter part of Isaiah is 27 chapters, and they're broken up into nine sections uh, by a dividing phrase that occurs uh, at the end of 48 and 57. And so this section is focused, as you're well aware, on bringing into view the Messiah and what that means for Israel, who is coming out of exile under Babylon. And we begin to get a picture of the kingdom that Jesus is creating, uh, spiritual Zion, that will, get, that will come into full view next week when we cover the last part of the book. And so in, in these nine chapters, chapters 49 through 53 deal with 
the restoration of Israel, but really mankind, to God through the power of a suffering servant. And there's mention, uh, if we get there, that how his kingdom will enlarge beyond the physical borders of Israel. So this image is given with the exiles that come back, that more children come than can be held. And um, the people are surprised by this. So we'll, we'll read that and, and understand that a little better. But that includes the idea of both Jew and Gentile coming and being part of this kingdom, the church. Chapters 54 through 56 are chapters about Zion and really the Messianic age. Uh, God calling, inviting Israel to respond to that. But as we know from Isaiah's day, their hearts are hardened. And they, uh, at least before the, the judgment and the exile, are, are not of a, a heart to respond. And so they're being called to respond uh, and being told that in the days when these things are prophesied would begin to occur, then, then they would respond, um, referring to the, the church age and, and the, the ministry of Christ. And then in chapters 55, or chapter, in chapter 55, there's a call to the thirsty to come. It uh, reminds us of, of Revelation 22, where it says, whoever's thirsty, let him come. And then in chapter uh, in the same chapter, chapter 55, verse 6, um, they're urged to seek the Lord while he may be found. Um, there's even mention of uh, the foreigner and the eunuch specifically would be welcomed with equal service as part of this kingdom. Um, and then in chapter 57, it deals really with the disobedience of the present day Judah. And so I want to mention in this section what scholars have recognized are three of the servant songs. We talked about one last week in chapter 42, but they've identified these servant songs that provide different aspects of the servant. We'll talk a little bit um, for a few minutes about what, what is meant, meant, meant by the servant in Isaiah. In three of these songs, it seems to be God speaking to his servant. And then one of the songs in chapter 50 is in the first person, where it appears to be the servant speaking of himself. Many Jews uh, today even would claim the Jewish nation as being the embodiment of all of these servant songs, um, even chapter 53. And while it's true the servant of the Lord is attributed to Israel, we'll look at a few of those cases. We read some last week as well in chapter 41. That can't be the full story. Uh, behind the servant, and we'll look at that, uh, why that is. So I want to spend a few minutes on this theme of who is the servant of the Lord in Isaiah. I think this idea of the servant is makes Isaiah as a book pretty unique, and even this section within Isaiah, it's really developed, and it's uh, a unique aspect of this these nine chapters, and again, really starting in, in chapter 41 leading up to this. So there's a lot of information on this slide, and it may be difficult to read, but I've got some copies down here if you would like one afterwards. But I want to develop this thought, this progression of thought in Isaiah of the servant of the Lord. Who is the servant of the Lord? Um, so in chapter 41, if you'll read 41, verses 8 and 9 with me. 41, verse 8 and 9. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, 
descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I've taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I've chosen you and not rejected you. So twice here, Israel uh, was called the chosen nation or is called the servant and a chosen nation. In what way was Israel a chosen nation? God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were, they were called to be separate, set apart for God. It's true. Anything else? The channel for the Messiah. Right, they bring about the Messiah uh, through, through this nation. So those are all really good answers. Um, and so they were, they were chosen to bring about the Messiah. And um, there's a few verses I read that indicate their mission was could have been more than that. Um, and we've talked about being set apart, but that they were actually supposed to be a light to the Gentile nations around them um, to draw them to God or to point them to God. Uh, and I don't see that as being their primary mission to be evangelistic in the same way that the church is in the first century, but their law had provision for proselytes to join Israel. And so uh, in Exodus 19.4, discusses this idea some. Exodus 19, chapter 4, reads, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So this talks about this idea of kingdom of priests and holy nations, uh, a holy nation. In Deuteronomy verses, chapter 4, verse 6, this is uh, speaking to the, the second generation that wouldn't go into the promised land. Deuteronomy 4, verse 6, talking about the law. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. It goes on to talk a little bit more about this, but the idea is that the surrounding nations around Israel would recognize the power of their God and through their lifestyle, they would be um, drawn in, in a way, to God, to the true God. But what was the problem with this? Uh, let's read. They became like all nations around them. That's right. Um, let's read chapter 40, verse 28 of Isaiah. Excuse me, Isaiah 40, verse 28. It says, but when I look, there's no one. And there's no counselor among them who, if I ask, can give an answer. This verse is, is very similar. I've got a cross-reference to 59, verse 16, which you'll recognize, Isaiah 59, um, verse 2. Isaiah uh, 59, 16 says, And he saw that there was no man, and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him, and his righteousness upheld him. So um, Israel nationally dropped, dropped the ball on this mission. Um, and that's not to say anything about ancient national Israel, but it's a symptom of general mankind, isn't it? Um, even from the, from the garden. Um, 
they couldn't uphold their, their national mission. And it, it kind of reminds me of uh, Romans chapter 3, the argument that Paul would make in chapter 1 that the Gentile uh, was, was wicked, in chapter 2 that Israel was, and then in chapter 3 he reminds Israel that your own scriptures, quoting from Psalms and Isaiah, condemn you, that just because you have this nationality that God's chosen you doesn't mean you're going to uh, be righteous or be right before him. And so this this mission that was given to them, uh, they weren't able to uphold it. Mankind really isn't able to uphold it. And so you see the servant here is an incapable servant, this, this uh, idea of servant being national Israel. And so God uh, interceded on their behalf. His own arm brought salvation, as we read. Uh, if you'll flip over to Isaiah 48, there's promise and hope given to Israel in Isaiah 48. Um, I'm, I'm actually not going to read this for time's sake, but 48, 8 through 10 talks about how you've been called a rebel from birth and that God would delay his wrath. Um, In my praise, I will restrain it for you in order to not cut you off. So he is not going to to sever himself this this covenant that he has with Israel. He's going to use that to redeem them and redeem mankind. And so flip over one more chapter to chapter 49. How would he do this? Let's read chapter 49. This is the second servant song that I mentioned, uh, verses 3 through 7. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. But I said, I've told in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord, and my reward is with the Lord. And now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel, I will make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One, to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see and arise, princes will also bow down because of the Lord who is faithful and the Holy One of Israel whom I have chosen so even in this passage, he begins in verse 3 by saying, you are my servant Israel. But then in verse 4, there's indication that uh, God recognizes the failure for Israel to deliver what was promised, uh, either um, for, for themselves or for the nations around them to be that light. And so in verse 5, I would suggest um, there's a change that happens. In verse 5, it says, uh, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. Um, so who is the one who, he says, who formed me from the womb? Is it, is it Israel again? Because how could 
Jacob redeem himself, it says that he would be, um, he would bring Jacob back. So I would suggest here, uh, people seem to have different opinions on who the servant is here, but I would suggest that a servant is introduced here, and it's the same servant from chapter 42, the ideal servant, that kind of a metamorphosis happens. Um, you know, we've, we've talked several times about Israel's personified as a man, as early as chapter 1, a wounded man. But this personified Israel becomes a literal man, becomes the Messiah, who would bring back Jacob, because he's unable to do that himself. And this man represents the Messiah. Uh, he must accomplish the mission that Israel could not, to redeem not only them, uh, it's too small a task just to redeem those of Israel, but to take salvation to the ends of the earth. Um, verse 7 that we read says that the servant, um, to the despised one, to the one aboard by the nation. So the servant is despised by who? By the nation. Um, what nation? <laughs> Uh, who's the nation in consideration in Isaiah? Uh, it seems to be to Judah, to Israel. And so this servant would be despised by uh, Israel and Judah themselves. Um, it says, yet kings and princes would recognize him and bow down. And so because of Israel's uh, inability to to carry out their mission, to to deliver salvation, it really converges down to one man, one faithful Messiah that would do this, the suffering servant that's described in chapter 52 and in 53 and uh, began really in, in chapter 42 that we read that he would bring forth justice to the nations. Uh, he would not cry out or raise his voice nor make his voice heard in the streets. That was from chapter 42. But we have this servant brought into the picture in chapter 52 um, and hopefully we'll get to talk about 52 and 53 a little more, but just to note a few items from chapter 52, verse 13. Um, it seems to be kind of an unfortunate chapter break in that 53 doesn't occur uh, at the beginning of chapter 52, verse 13, and, and proceed forward. Um, but chapter 52 talks about how he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Um, verse 14, as, as many as were appalled at you, my people, so his appearance was marred beyond that of a man. And then in verse 15, it says he will sprinkle many nations. Um, you know, from, uh, from 53 goes into vivid details about this suffering servant, this ideal servant, what he would go through in order to redeem mankind back, to bring them back to God, and to bring salvation to, to all of us that were lost. He was despised. We had no regard for him. Um, it was our sicknesses that he himself bore. Verse 5, he was pierced for our uh, offenses, crushed for our wrongdoings. Uh, down in verse 11 of 53, my servant will justify the many, for he will bear their wrongdoings. And then in verse 12, he will divide the plunder with the strong, because he poured out his life 
unto death. So this inheritance that he would bring by conquering uh, the powers of uh, Satan and death, he would divide as an inheritance among the strong. And so it takes us kind of to the last part of this chart is that what we see in the last part of Isaiah, servants are mentioned again, but it's his servants and his witnesses. That is those who would turn to, to the Messiah uh, unto your light, the nation shall walk, uh, Isaiah 60, verse 3 says. And in 65, 8 and 9, talks about how my servants will live in Zion. And so the what began through Israel could not be accomplished and was ultimately delivered through Messiah would, would broaden and grow into first the, the righteous remnant of Israel, and then ultimately salvation would be brought to the ends of the earth as is mentioned in chapter 49. And uh, Paul actually quotes Isaiah 49 about, uh, I will make you a light to the nation so that my salvation re- may reach the end of the earth on, um, in Acts 13 on his first missionary journey. Uh, I think it's in Antioch of Pisidia. He quotes this verse and says how we're carrying this out. I'm carrying this out in my day. Um, the Messiah's, the Messiah's mission is my mission and, and my mission team, and this is what we're doing. And so uh, one of the last point I was going to make on this chart is uh, how Jesus Christ represents the true Israel. When it converged down to that one man, he represented the true Israel, what God had in mind for Israel to, to bring uh, forth and to carry out. And we see this idea mentioned in the New Testament a few times that I uh, found. One of those is in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul is talking about resurrection and how the resurrection of Christ is the foundation of our faith as Christians. Paul said that Jesus was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And the scripture we have, the only one that I could find that mentioned on the third day is Hosea 6-2. In Hosea uh, 6-2, this is the, the righteous remnant of Israel that's speaking of themselves. And they say, he will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day. Paul says it's Jesus that raised up on the third day. And Jesus was, was the head. And uh, they're one and the same entity, in a sense that the true Israel uh, was, was Jesus himself and that his salvation would be brought uh, beyond just the, uh, the united Israel that was brought back, but to, to all ends of the earth. And so does anyone have any questions on this? Uh, I hope it's helpful to kind of track the, the thought of the servant, which I think is it's a pretty amazing idea in Isaiah Okay. Yeah, just one small comment. So uh, I think you're on the right with the thoughts there in Isaiah uh, 49, verse 6, show that there's a certain thing that took place. Um, and I think there in verse 6, um, when it says, I will also keep you as a light of the Gentiles, and be my salvation and the earth. That's quoted over in Luke 2, um, when uh, Simeon sees Jesus. 
James is just mentioning that 49 verse 6 is also quoted at the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2 by the um, the angel that would visit Simeon. Is that right? All right, let's look at uh, one more place in chapter 49. So I'm switching from the servant idea just to to make a few observations in this nine-chapter section. Um, We've looked at the beginning of chapter 49. Let's read... Let's read 49, verses 19 through 22. And I wanted to make a comment on this section. Chapter 49, 19 through 22. For your waste and desolate places and in your destroyed land, surely now you will be too cramped for the inhabitants. And those who swallowed you will be far away. The children of whom you were bereaved will yet say in their ears, this place is too cramped for me. Make room for me that I may live here. Then you will say in your heart, Who has begotten these for me, since I have been bereaved of my children, and am barren, and exile, and a wanderer? And who has reared these? Behold, I was left alone. Where do these come from? Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations, and set up my standard to the peoples. And they will bring their sons in their bosom, and their daughters will be carried on their shoulders." So the image, is we talked about this last section of Isaiah, is looking at the returning exiles coming from Babylon physically back to the land to reestablish themselves and build the temple. And so this image here is given of uh, those who do return to come back and rebuild will look around and notice that more have come back than, than left, than were taken under captivity. Um, it's too cramped for the inhabitants. And so as those were regathered from the nation, those, those of, of uh, Israel who were regathered, they're going to, to say this place is too cramped for me, make room for uh, others that have entered the land. Um, I want to read one other passage about this before I comment on it, and that's in chapter 54, verse 1 through 4. A similar idea is given. Chapter 54 Excuse me, 54, 1 through 3. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth unto joyful shouting and cry aloud, you, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be no more, oh, excuse me, will be more numerous than the sons of the married one, married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains of of your dwellings, spare not, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your pegs, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess the nations, and will resettle the desolate cities. A similar uh, image of this is given actually in Zechariah, after the exile. In Zechariah chapter 2, there's this young man that goes out with a measuring rod to measure the walls of the city. Um, and it uh, said, run and speak to the young man there, saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited as an open country because of the multitude of people and the cattle within it. Uh, but I declare as the Lord will be a wall of fire to her on all her sides, and I will be the glory 
in her midst. So this imagery here is given of uh, this nationally it being too cramped. There's not enough land here to uh, contain all those that have been regathered and to stretch out your tents, to build bigger houses, to make room for all these people. Um, this image here, uh, and I should mention that uh, 4922 gives us points back to what we read in chapter 11 about a signal being sent out for the nations. Uh, 49.22, I set up my standard for the peoples. So in Isaiah 11.10, a signal was set forth and it was seen um, as the root of Jesse, as the Messiah himself, and that he would draw in the elect, but not only those of Israel, but to all the nations. So this image here, I would suggest, is is used in terms of national inhabit, nationally inhabiting the land and returning from exile, but it's meant in a much broader way, in a much fuller way. And it's indicating the enormous size of God's kingdom under the Messiah and how that transformed kingdom um, would contain many sons and daughters of nations that were not even fathomed uh, by, by Israel. And uh, so that when Israel was gathered back, it wouldn't just be uh, them by themselves, it would be the nations, and that that would happen, be carried out through the mission of the church and through the spreading of the gospel um, to, to all nations. Let's read chapter 50, verse 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Where is the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away? Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? Behold, you were sold for your iniquities and your transgressions. Your mother was sent away. This image, we're familiar with it by now, both from Isaiah and Hosea, of uh, wicked Israel being compared to as uh, married to God. But the question here is, where is the certificate of divorce? Um, Produce that document. Show that to me. It it seems to, to indicate or imply that there wasn't a certificate of divorce, at least on behalf of God, that he hadn't forsaken them. Uh, they had turned their back on him, and he punished them through the exile, but it wasn't going to be a permanent thing. He would, he would bring them back and redeem them, and... Um, that he hadn't forsaken them. He would continue to carry out his plan. And so when we have this, uh, this servant song number three that's mentioned a few verses down that I want to read, and that's in 50 verses four through seven. I think it actually goes on to verse nine, but we're going to read 50 verses four through seven. The main theme of this is to trust and endure. Um, that the Messiah, the Messiah would do this, the ideal servant, but that also his people will do this. Verse four, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a, dis as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me 
and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting, but the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. There's um, what seems to us clear uh, allusions here to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ himself and what he would endure. This passage is not ever actually quoted in the New Testament, but we can see elements here that would then be picked up in chapter 53 and and quoted. Uh, There seems to be maybe an allusion uh, to this idea of setting my face like flint uh, that I wanted to mention, and that's in Luke chapter 9 in verse 51. Uh, Luke 9, 51 reads, As the day of his ascension approached, Jesus, uh, the NAS the or NASB says he Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Some versions I read said set his face on Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead who went into the village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him, but the people there refused to welcome him because he set his face for Jerusalem. And so this this idea of setting your face like flint. It, Again, this, picture, this is a picture of the Messiah himself being painted ahead of time that he, I would give my back to those who strike me. I didn't turn it away. I didn't shun what would come to me. In verse 5 and 6, this willing compliance of a challenging and difficult demands that God would have for him. I let it happen. And then in verse 7, it says, for the Lord helps me. He helps me. Uh, even though he was taunted and jeered. And so I want to think about this for our own lives and this quality that, that Jesus possessed, how he set his face on Jerusalem to carry out his mission. And I would suggest that that determination that he had wasn't his godly nature, um, but his human nature that was allowing him to do that. And we, we know that from the garden, right? The garden of Gethsemane and how he, he struggled, wrestled with uh, being able to carry forth what he needed to do. And so we see the human side of it. And again, the setting, the setting of face like Flint that the Messiah had, I would suggest is his human side, that he was able to do that with his human nature. And so that gives me comfort to know that, um, and so I think about it in my own life and in our lives. Have we set our face like Flint when we face a challenge in life that can cause us to waver, um, can cause us our, our faith to be shaken, knowing that God is with us, even during those difficult times, it can cause us to be strong. It can give us a strength that we don't have. And so who are we going to focus on during those challenging times? Are we going to focus on the difficulty or on God? Jesus Christ, our Lord, he went through unbearable challenges, but he made it because um, his God and my God and your God were able to support him through this. Um, And so during these challenges, we can look at how uh, challenging we think something is, or we can look at how powerful God is. Uh, Verse 7 again says, For the Lord 
helps me. And it ends with, I know that I will not be ashamed. So we can get to this, this point in our own faith when we are absolute, we have this absolute confidence that if I do God's will and, and God's way, I will never be ashamed. Um, and if we have that in our heart, we can have courage to get through any challenge we have. Um, I hope that thought helps us uh, during our week, and it, it helped me to think through it as well when I think and reflect on Jesus and on, on his determination. Any comment before I move on? Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm going to to we have not gotten to three. No. It's all prophetic about Jesus. That's correct. But how come you still believe it? And what does that have to do? Because they have a traditional way to look at it? Yeah, so I mentioned at the beginning of class that Jews typically look at the three because they all serve passages that came Israel itself. So they went through punishment, through the exile, um, and that, that would be describing what they endured. Um, and the difficulty with that view is that the mission that's carried out by the suffering servant isn't a mission that's been carried out by Israel um, nationally in terms of salvation being brought to the ends of the earth. Um, now, some people would say, well, that's, that's yet in the future that's going to happen. But that's easy to say when it's happening outside of your lifetime <laughs> and you can't be proven wrong. Um, but that, that mission was carried out through Christ and through the church in the first century. That's how salvation was brought to the ends of the earth. So I hope that answers your question. I want to touch on something in chapter 51. We may not make it to 53. <laughs> um, in chapter 51, let's read verses 13 through 16. Verse 13, that you have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy. But where is the fury of the oppressor? The exile will soon be set free and will not die in the dungeon, nor will his bread be lacking. For I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. I've put my words in your mouth and I've covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens, to found the earth and to say to Zion, you are my people. There's a lot of, uh, I had planned to say about this passage, but I guess I want to note that at the beginning in verse 13, he seems to speak of the reminder to Judah that he physically stretched out the heavens and laid the creation of the earth he was the sovereign God, uh, that none of the idols of Assyria or Babylon are able to do this. Um, but then in verse 16, he says, I've put my words in your mouth, covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens, to found the earth, and to say to Zion, you are my people. Uh, so he's, he's using this idea of, of establishing heavens and founding the earth differently than the literal heavens and earth that he's already talked about establishing. He's saying he's going to do something new. We're going to talk more about that next week and that image, but I just wanted to bring that up here. And he relates it to the idea of, of Zion, his people, um, not the literal heavens and the earth 
as, as is referenced in other parts of Isaiah. So at 52 verse 13, I just want to at least overview this section, uh, which you're very familiar with. Again, I would suggest it starts at 52.13 with the destiny of the Messiah, his exaltation, what he would actually accomplish through his act. And that 53 would be in these stanzas, these three verse stanzas, um, there's four of them, that talks about his career, his suffering, his submission, and then ultimately his reward that kind of points back to that exaltation, that destiny in chapter 52. Um, And so, uh, again, I don't think there necessarily should be a chapter break at 53, but um, it's it's all one continual thought here. It talks about in 52.15 that he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. Uh, This brings to mind many New Testament passages, of course, that... uh, for example, First Peter 1, 2, Peter says that you may obey Jesus and be sprinkled with his blood. Um, and Hebrews 9 talks about if the blood of bulls and goats, um, etc., uh, how much more would, uh, would be sprinkled, how much more would the blood of Christ cleanse you? And so uh, the sprinkling of many nations would be what Christ would carry out through uh, his his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. And, in, and of course, an invitation for all to come and be a part of his kingdom. Um, let me just kind of open it up here because I think we're going to run out of time. But is there any specific passage in 53 that you want to highlight that you um, appreciate the most or that that um that you recognize as uh being something that's powerful in in terms of how it's fulfilled or quoted in the new testament we hope you have enjoyed this lesson from god's word if you would like to continue your study of new testament christianity please send your name and address to world bible school west Huntsville church of christ 1519 old monrovia road northwest Huntsville, alabama 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.